lot to me as a teenager. He is my reason to live. I'm glad I'm still living for that reason after all those years. Praise the Lord. Well, you're in the book of Philemon, and uh, this is a very personal letter. In fact, I want you to think with me for just a minute. Uh, You know, when you write a letter to someone, it's personal. You know, you really don't want everyone reading what you write to others. You know, there's some letters that I've written uh, to friends, to family, to my wife, to my kids. You know, they're personal. They're just letters written. And I realize they, they may be, uh, you know, they, they may decide to show that letter to someone. You know, they may say, hey, look, read what my dad said or read what my husband wrote me. Or, but, you know, <clears throat> this, is, this is so personal. And poor Paul, uh, God said, look, we're going to let the whole world see this letter, you know. No, this letter will not be kept private at all, even though it was a very personal and intimate letter written to Philemon from Paul. I want you to keep that in mind, because as we look towards the new year, there's a purpose in directing us to this particular letter in the Bible. There's a purpose in all of this. If I had to entitle the message, I would probably uh, say it like this, how to have a new year with the record clear. A new year with the record clear. Or maybe this. I texted someone this yesterday in response to a text they sent me. I said, I said, hey, brother, come January 1, you can have a fresh start with a clean heart. A fresh start with a clean heart. A new year with the record clear. Here's the beautiful thing about a new year. I love it. I love a new year. I, I love it. I, And I've said this, you know, for 22 years now that I've been here about January 1. It is honestly my personal favorite day of the year. Now, obviously, you know, Christmas Day is is spiritually, uh, you know, obviously monumental in our lives as we think about our Savior's birth. And then, of course, there are special days like anniversaries and birthdays. But January 1 means this, that I can start over. I mean, there are some things that I want to do this year better than I did last year. And for some reason, January 1 is just awesome. In so many ways, it just gives us a brand new start. And we can, we can look at that day as a day where, of new beginnings. And that's why we call it New Year. Happy New Year, you know. Why? Because it's new. It's fresh. It's a start. And there's a lot of things that we can begin to determine to do in the upcoming year. But the way to accomplish that first, I think, would be to consider... What Paul asked Philemon to consider about a man by the name of, pay attention here, nobody's naming anybody this anymore, Onesimus. Can you imagine having a baby? Yesterday, Dave and Sonia Chittam were blessed with another grandchild, amen? And its name was not Onesimus, thankfully, okay? Buford, they did call it Buford, I thought that was weird. But, you know, I'm just kidding. And uh, Onesimus, strange name. But that's who the letter was written about to Philemon from Paul. And there was a purpose in the writing of this letter. And honestly, if I could sum it all up before I give you the thoughts, it would be this. Hey, Philemon, would you consider giving Onesimus a fresh start? With a clean heart. And so I want you to think about that. Because 
Church, there's no way in the world we can have a good new year if we've still got baggage in our lives from, from the past. If there's some things we're hanging on to, if there's some things that we're not willing to let go of, it's going to be really tough to have the kind of year that, that God has in store for us and, and planned for us. And so with that said, I want you to look at verse number one of Philemon. Uh, I'm not even going to say chapter one. I'm just going to say the letter, all right, because that's what it is. It's a letter. And so look at the very first verse in this letter. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's kind of, we'll come back to that in just a moment, but I want you to notice that Paul was in prison uh, at the writing of this letter. Okay, I kind of explained that to you in just a moment. But Paul did write this letter from prison. And Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved, and fellow laborer. So he's writing this letter to Philemon, who is a fellow laborer, who is a dearly beloved Christian. And I want you to know something about Philemon in relation to Paul. Paul had led Philemon to Christ. And so Philemon was a, uh, if, if you will, somewhat of a convert of Paul's, a, a uh, disciple, in a sense, of Paul's, obviously of Jesus Christ first and foremost. But Paul was responsible, humanly speaking, for leading Philemon to Christ. And so that's significant in the, in the, in the understanding of this letter to him, all right? And then he says, and to our beloved Aphia. Who is Aphia? Well, she's mentioned here in, in the passage, I believe, she was Philemon's wife. And then it mentions also uh, Archippus, and I believe that must have been their son, Philemon's and Aphia's son. Uh, we're not told that specifically in Scripture, but the majority of places you will study uh, in, in reference to who these people were, that's who they are, uh, that's who they're, they're thought to be, is the, the uh, wife and the son of Philemon. And then it says, he wrote it to the church in thy house. Okay, so... Real quickly, Philemon has a house church, okay? Not a big church. So Philemon was a preacher. He was a pastor. He had a small little church in his house. So it's pretty cool, you know? And uh, nothing wrong with having a church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. And so Paul starts off with a lot of affectionate words for Philemon because he loved him, because he led him to Christ, because Philemon was very important to the Apostle Paul. Skip down to verse 10 real quickly. I beseech thee. Here's why I'm writing this letter. I'm begging you. I'm beseeching you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to him. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. So what's taking place here? What is all of this about? Why did God put this little story in the word of God? Well, I'm going to take about five minutes to build the story up to you. Make sure you understand what's taking place here. And then I'm going to give you three quick thoughts from this passage. So you and I can attempt to have a new year with the record clear. All right. So here is this intriguing little story. There was a godly man by the name of Philemon. You ready? All right, let's enter uh, uh, character number one is Philemon. Very godly man. He was a pastor. He was a preacher. Uh, he had a little house church. Uh, Paul had led Philemon to Christ. So he was a brother, a son rather, in the ministry, just like Timothy was a son in the ministry uh, to the apostle Paul. Very special people in your life when God gives you the privilege of seeing someone saved and they go off into the ministry and uh, they become someone who you keep up with and contact often. And so this was someone who was very close to the Apostle Paul. Well, after many years, Philemon had uh, set up a little church. He planted a church, small church. 
in a house. My brother, we just got back from visiting my brother in Las Vegas. He is starting a church. And it's kind of cool. It brought back memories of 22 years ago when we started this church. And Brett's, uh, you know, having his first little services. In fact, he had folks over his house, about 17 of the, of the folks that are going to be starting the church with him, uh, over his house for pizza. And we got to go and be a part of a little house service where Brett spoke. And so it kind of reminded me of what it must have been like in this story to have a little house church. Some have said that if America ever comes under great persecution, and it's hard to imagine that we could, but if we do, uh, it may be like it is in China, where they do not have church in buildings. They have churches in homes, in houses. They have churches, what's called the secret church. And who's to say that in America there may come a day when you and I make our houses into gatherings, into churches, into small groups of people who are worshiping Christ together. Well, that's what Philemon was doing. He was pastoring a small group of people and at a church in his own house. And there was a slave, the Bible says, that he had. Now, slavery ended, as you study the church history, it wasn't long after this story that slavery came to an end. The gospel was too much for slavery to continue in these days of the Bible. But at this point, slavery had not ended. And so Philemon did have a house slave, and his name was Onesimus. Onesimus was someone who, who kind of just did whatever the uh, Philemon needed. He worked in his house. He labored for him. But there came a day when Onesimus stole some things from Philemon. He took some things from his house. doesn't tell us what all they were, but they were obviously some very valuable things. And when he stole from his master Philemon, he ran away. And we know all this from this little letter. I didn't read you the whole letter, but we're going we're gonna to go back and review just a, just a little bit. But I encourage you to read this later. It's real short, but you'll see it all unfolding. Uh, Philemon, slave Onesimus, steals from Philemon and runs away to Rome with what he had stolen from Philemon. And then, in this little story, we find that Because of the providence of God, it isn't that amazing how God works in so many unbelievable ways. I mean, think about how you are where you are at today in life. How you came to Christ. I was a Roman Catholic altar boy in New Orleans, Louisiana, being raised in a very Catholic home. All of my family in New Orleans is still Catholic. No one has converted. Everyone is still exactly the same as they were. But somehow God took two boys and took them out of the city and brought them to Arkansas. And as a result of the providence of God, my mother got saved. We slipped into a church that had a little school that we became a part of. And I got saved because of the providence of God on a Friday at 1230 right here in Hot Springs, Arkansas on the corner of 3rd and South in what was the old Nazarene church building. Can you believe it? It's crazy how God works, isn't it? God puts all these things together, and here I am today as a result of God's working in my life. And so God was working in Onesimus' life. He didn't even understand it. Because Paul, who had led Philemon to Christ, is now in Rome as well. In fact, that's where his little house church was. uh, Excuse me, that's where he was in, uh, in prison. But it wasn't hardcore prison. It was just a house prison. He was a prisoner in a house. He wasn't under serious guard, but he was 
under guard. And he was in this house, in this house prison. And somehow, this runaway slave who came to Rome found himself in this little prison as well. And as a result of that, Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus. Are you with me? Onesimus then gets saved. And he begins to disciple Onesimus. And, and, and that's just how it works. When you lead someone to Christ, you begin to work with them and disciple them and teach them the scriptures and uh, you know, t- show them that the first step is baptism. And then after that, let's, let's find a good church. And then after that, uh, let's read our Bibles together. Let's grow together. And so Paul was bringing Onesimus along and discipling Onesimus in the word of God. And as a result of this discipling, Onesimus begins to share with Paul some of his past. They just get that tight. They just get close. And Onesimus says, probably, I can imagine the conversation kind of going like this. So, what brought you to Rome in the first place? Well, I had this, this master. He was a great guy. In fact, he was a pastor. I was really blessed to work with him. Well, what was his name, Paul says? And Onesimus says, well, you wouldn't know him. I mean, it, I, there's so many people. I mean, well, just, just out of curiosity, he says his name's Philemon. Philemon? He was a pastor? Was his wife Aphia? Was his son Archippus? Yeah, how'd you know? Because I led him to Christ. I know him. He is my, my son in the ministry. This is unbelievable. And Onesimus says, no, it's not so unbelievable. Because... I robbed him. That's how I ended up here. I stole from him. I can't believe you know him. I'm so sorry. I stole from somebody. Oh, this is terrible. He said, no, it's not terrible. He said, because you're going to go back and apologize. No, I'm not going to go back. He said, no, that's all about being a Christian. That's what you do. You you make things right. He says, so so it's the right thing to make things right? Yes, Paul says, Onesimus, it's the right thing to make things right with those you've wronged. And so it's going to be awesome. And he says, no, it's not going to be awesome. Because do you know what happens to people who steal? I could be killed. I could lose my hand. I mean, they could, they, there's a lot of things that, that Philemon could, could do to me or have done to me if he finds out what I did. And Paul says, hmm. All right. I can, I can, I can see your fear here and concern. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to write you a letter. I'm going to write it to Philemon on your behalf. And then you're going to bring this letter to Philemon. And you're going to let him read it. And on SMS, everything's going to be okay. And so Paul takes his pen out and begins to write. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother. And he writes this letter that you have sitting on your lap or on your phone or iPad. He writes the very letter you have. 2,000 years ago, that letter was written by the Apostle Paul for Onesimus to give to Philemon. And we're still talking about it today. It was just that awesome of a letter. Can you picture with me what that moment must have been like? Philemon is in his house with Aphia and Archippus there, whatever, maybe getting ready for a service. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door, right? And it's Onesimus. And he has the letter. 
And Philemon hasn't seen Onesimus for a, a while. I don't know how long, but it's been a while. In fact, the last time he saw him was right before he stole from him. And so Onesimus shows up. You can only imagine what that moment must have been like. Philemon opens the door, sees Onesimus, and goes, Onesimus, what are, you, what are you doing here? I haven't seen you in a few months, maybe a few years, but at least a few months we know. He says, uh, son, the last time you were here, you, you know what you did. And maybe Philemon leans back and says, Aphia, it's Onesimus. And she says, I don't want to talk to him. Tell him to leave our property. I'm not saying she did that, but maybe she did. Can you imagine what the scene could have been like? I'm, I'm one of those guys. And Onesimus, hands are shaking. His voice is quivering. Uh, I, I understand how you feel. I, 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 I totally do. I, I, I've got a letter here. And, and it's from the Apostle Paul. You know him? Well, so I met him in like a house prison. I got arrested in Rome and he was in prison and not for like what I did, but for something else, like I think preaching the gospel or something. And anyway, he led me to Christ. I'm, I'm saved. He told me I'm like a brother to you now. We're, it's different now and I'm sorry. And would you read this letter? Philemon steps back and opens the letter. And reads it. And I can only imagine. When he finished. He must have just begun to weep. And he took Onesimus in his arms. And wept and said. You are forgiven. It's all okay. It's in the past. Let's start over. You want a job? That's what the gospel does. Now I want you to learn three things from this story with me. I want you to see, first of all, the first thing I want you to see, and that's, isn't that amazing? Isn't that just cool? Do you feel like you know more about why this letter is in the Bible now? The first thing that we see in this story that applies to us in 2014 today is this. I want you to see the renewal that, that the gospel brought to Onesimus, the, the renewal. In other words, something started brand new for Onesimus. Look at verse number 10 again of Philemon. Just look at it with me for a moment. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. In other words, whom I led to Christ in prison, okay? Which in time past was to thee unprofitable. God has a sense of humor. Look up what the word Onesimus means. Do you know all names have a meaning, right? My name has a meaning. Eric has a meaning. Your name has a meaning. Do you know what the meaning of Onesimus is? Here's, here's what it means. Profitable. Look it up. It's incredible. God is amazing, isn't he? He literally takes the name of Onesimus and uses it, if you will, in this simple application. He says, you know, in time past, Onesimus was a thief. Hey, Philemon, I understand he was unprofitable at one time. I understand he ripped you off at one time. I understand he, he messed you over, but now he is profitable to thee and to me. It's different now. Something has changed in him. And that's what the gospel does to all of us. The gospel changes us. But it doesn't just change us the day we got saved. It changes us the day after and the day after and the day after. The gospel isn't a one-time event. 
It changes our lives every day. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what gives you and I a new look every day, a new path every day, a new meaning every day, new forgiveness every day, new grace every day. And come January 1st, some of the junk you've been carrying in your life, some of the stuff you've been messing with this year, some of the ways you've been treating your spouse, some of the ways you've been handling your finances, some of those things that have been messing you over and destroying your life and, and, and destroying relationships, guess what? God says, I want you to start over. The gospel can do that for you. I don't even get saved again if you're saved. But you need to let the gospel work in your life. It's this renewal. Something changes in your life. Romans chapter 3 explains it all. I've got it on the screen. It's in verse 10 through 12. It says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Not one. There's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become who? Unprofitable. What? Unprofitable. That's everybody. There's none that do with good. Every one of us were unprofitable. All of us, me included. But guess what the gospel did? It made me profitable. I'm a new person. <laughs> old song, old school, you ready? Old school. Bill Gaither. Old. <laughs> Tell me if you recognize this song. I love it. I still remember the words. Honestly, no words on, on the notes. If there ever were dreams... That were lofty and noble. They were my dreams from the start. And the hope for life's best was the hope that I longed for down deep in my heart. But my dreams turned to ashes. And my castles all crumbled. My fortune turned to dust. So I wrapped them all in the rags of my life. And I laid them at the cross where he made something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. Huh? Hey! I'm beautiful in God's eyes. You see, I was once his enemy. Yes, I was an enemy of God. I was once more a follower of Satan and his ways before I was saved. Listen, my God was not the God of heaven. It was the God of this world. But when Jesus saved me, he changed me. He made me a new person. And now I am profitable. That's what the gospel does. It changes everything about your life. I notice, I love to tell this story. I have not told this story. I'm trying to tell old stories now. Because I, I, I forget sometimes that you haven't heard them. And this is an oldie. John Johnson, you'll remember this. You hear John back there? All right. Mark Sovine. Okay. John's, okay. Mark Sovine. John Johnson is out knocking on doors years ago. He's at an apartment complex on 
Washita Avenue. Now, let me tell you something about Washita Avenue. If there is an apartment complex on Washita Avenue, you probably don't want to be knocking on doors alone at night. Unless you're John Johnson, okay? <laughs> John's out there knocking on doors at this really rough apartment complex. I think it was either the holiday or the best. The, the, you know, I don't know why they call them holiday or best, because there's nothing holiday and nothing best about them. But, you know, these, the weekly ones, you know, <laughs> scary. And uh, so John's knocking on these doors. He begins at door number one. Now, if you go to this apartment complex on Washita after church, I think it's the first or second one on the left, you'll notice either one of them are kind of like a horseshoe. They're like this. And then here's Washita. Courthouse is on the right, right? So John's going to knock these doors tonight. And he's going to start on number one. Now let's back up. Three months before John knocked on that door, three months, a man that John did not know by the name of Mark Sovine lived in West Virginia. Mr. Sovine's wife had left him one day with the children, left him a note, and said, I never want to see you again. Mark gave his family everything. He just took $30,000 he had stashed away, and he put that 30000 in the trunk of his car. And he said, I'm going to just take off, and I'm going to just drive and party till the $30,000 run out. Then I'm going to take this revolver out of a little briefcase, and I'm going to shoot myself and end my life somewhere in America, wherever that is that I spend my last dollar. Three months later, Mark finds himself with about $50 left, enough to get him one night at the best hotel on Washita, where John Johnson was knocking doors that night. John knocks door number one. Mark is in his apartment with the revolver on his coffee table. This is it. Night's over. Somebody's picking him up tonight after they hear the bullet go through his head and call the police. He'll be dead in that apartment tonight. He's sitting there realizing what he's about to do and just comes up with this thought that, you know, God, if you are God, then show yourself. I mean, show me that you really do care. Show me that you're there. And so Mark says, listen, God, if you'll let somebody knock on my door and just show up out of nowhere tonight, I'll do whatever he has to say. Mark says he walked out of his apartment complex and saw some strange-looking skinny guy knocking on doors, and he thought, you know, he must be like Jehovah's Witness or maybe Mormon. But I don't care what he is. If he makes it to my door, I'm going to listen to him. I'm just that desperate. Mark goes back into his apartment and continues to do his thing. And finally, about 30, 45 minutes later, he goes back out and he notices John's still at it. He's about halfway through the horseshoe. Obviously, not having much luck. Nobody's really talking to him tonight. Little did Mark know that's the way it had to be for John to get to his door. To get through 50 doors, you can't have much conversation. Holy Spirit's going to save Mark tonight. We've got to get John to that door. About an hour and a half into this, John Johnson knocks on Mark Sovine's door. Three months after he left Virginia to party and kill himself in an apartment somewhere, Mark answers the door, and before John could get any words out, he says, I'm so glad you're here. What is it that you've got? I'll do whatever you say. And John says, uh, well, I'm from church, and I want to talk to you about 
your relationship with God? He said, yes. Yes, I'll do it. He said, well, you don't know yet what the offer is. He said, well, I don't care what it is. Tell me and I'll do it. John sits down on his couch with that revolver on that coffee table. Leads Mark Sovine to Christ. Wow. Here's what I'm saying. God loves you that much too. God knows where you're at. You say, well, I'm not in that kind of a shape. Yeah, but you know, all of us today have something in our life that is unprofitable. We're carrying around something that, that, that God wants to make profitable. God wants to change. God wants to make it new. God wants to do something new this year in our lives. And he needs us to, to just surrender and say, God, show yourself to me. Maybe that's why you're here. So there's the renewal the gospel brought. But secondly, I want you to notice the restoration the gospel brought. Look at verse 12 of, of our text. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore Receive him. Sent again, meaning this. I know, I know he's been with you, and I know he was your slave, and I know he was your servant until he robbed you, but I'm sending him to you again. I'm sending him back to you, and I want you to receive him. That is mine own bowels. In other words, I want you to receive him, Philemon. Like you would receive me. Just like me. Philemon, if I was at your door right now, and I know it's not me, it's Onesimus, but Onesimus is a brother now. He's just like me. We're now family. And so I want you to receive him just like you would receive me. Look at verse number 15. Incredible. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Philemon, maybe. Maybe all of this is just the way God worked it out. I know it was bad, but God can turn something bad and make it good. I know he stole from you, but look, if he would have never stolen from you, he'd have never ran. And if he never ran, he'd have never got to Rome. If he wouldn't have got to Rome, he would have never met me. If he would have never met me, I wouldn't have given him to God. Do you see God working here? And he says, I want you to receive him forever. Look at verse 17. If thou count me, therefore, a partner, if you love me, receive him. Three times we see the word receive, receive, receive. Christ receiveth sinful men. Sing it over and over again. Christ receiveth sinful men. You know what Christ is looking for today? A sinner who's looking for a place to unload his sin. Just get it off his shoulders. Christ is looking for that person today. I don't care today if you have never come to Christ. Christ says today I want you to come for the first time and get saved. I want you to come for the very first time today. And it's called being born again. It's called being saved. It's what happened to me on September the 1st, 1978. It's what happened to Mark Sovine in that little apartment on Washtenaw years ago. It's what happened to Onesimus in a prison, in a house prison in Rome. And it's what could happen to you today at 600 Garland Street. If you've never met Christ today, unload your sin. But let me tell you something. Secondly, if you are a Christian and you've got some baggage, some sin that you're holding on to, come. Just leave it at the altar. Christ receives sinful men. Some churches aren't real good at this. They just aren't, you know. I just see who just walked in. See what they're wearing. See what they look like. See this. See that. That's all we do. It's like Pharisees. Like we just look with our eyes and we determine how we feel about something based on what we see. Aren't you glad God's not like that? God doesn't look at us that way. 
God looks at us through eyes of love and compassion. And God says, I will receive you just as you are. And so it doesn't matter who you are today or what you've done or what trouble you've been in. Christ says, I want you to come today. I want to receive you. And you are at a place where your reception will be welcomed and received. This is so so exciting to me. Romans 15, 7, I think we have that for the screen. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. We should receive one another just based on the fact that Christ received us. Amen. Number three, let me give you the third one. Well, let me tell you a story real quick and then I'll close with the third one. Let me tell you this story. It's 1135. I I got enough time. One more story. Old story. Old. This goes back to the year... 1998. We started the church in 1992. You know, God knew that he was going to give me and my wife and our family. God knew he was going to give us glory in. He knew that. He knew that we would have a special needs child back in 1998. Do you think he knew that? God knew it. And so God brought into my life a boy by the name of Ben Montgomery. Ben was educable slow. He rode my bus every Sunday. How many of you in this building remember Ben Montgomery? All right, good. If you've met him, you won't forget him. Just like Glorianne. <laughs> if you've met her. Yesterday it was unbelievable. Glorianne has these bloody noses. And let me tell you something about Glorianne's bloody noses. When Glorianne has a bloody when you have a bloody nose, it's like when Glorianne has one, it's a murder scene. And here's the scary thing. Listen, this script could not have been written any worse. We had just watched this document, documentary on 2020 about this woman who was taken from her child and put in prison for life because of some kind of neglect. Well, Glorianne has a bloody nose, right? We don't detect the bloody nose for like five minutes. So her face is just covered, because she does this, okay? Her face is, there's blood all over the house. Am I right? I mean, literally, Chloe, you can ask. It was everywhere. I mean, it was all over, on the walls, on the floor. It looked like a murder scene. And then you look at Glorianne, her face, blood everywhere, all over my clothes. I didn't even know she had Because I was carrying her, blood was just going down. Ding dong. No joke. This family, who we have only met one time in our lives, was coming over to bring Glorianne a new bike for Christmas. She she has a special needs bike. It's like, looks like a car. It's massive. But it's special. You know, it's got all kinds of protective measures and things. And Bob gets you in there. And it's crazy looking. Probably, who knows how much it costs. So he's bringing it over last night. He walks in, blood everywhere. I'm like, sir, I promise, this is, no, hey, let me explain. She has bloody noses. He goes, don't worry. We understand. We know she's got problems. Say, okay, just checking, just checking. Uh, put your phones up right now. Put your phones up. Don't yell. I'm thinking, you know, I mean, honestly, man, if the cops would have come over, we were probably done, you know. It was bad. So Ben Montgomery comes into my life. Ben was, was an interesting character. His... He lived with his cousin. His cousin got ran over by a taxi one day. And when he did, they rushed him to Children's Hospital, right? So his grandmother calls me at midnight. 
And she says, Eric, or Pat, she called me Brother Eric. Brother Eric, she said, listen, Robert's been hit by a cab. He went out, he was playing ball in the street. His ball rolled out in the street, and he went out to get the ball, and the cab didn't see him and ran him over, and he's on, he's on life support at Children's. I said, oh, we'll be praying. I'm sorry. Do you need me to come there? She goes, no, I don't need you to come here. I need you to go to my house. I said, why? She goes, Ben's there by himself. I said, oh, my goodness. Ben's, by, Ben's not all there. She goes, and worse than that, we didn't pay our electric bill this month. There's no electricity. There's no water. He's in the house by himself in the dark with no water. Would you go pick him up and bring him to your house? And let him stay the night. So <clears throat> I took off. You know, I called Caroline. I said, hey, honey, you know, this is pretty serious. Looks like Ben's going to be sleeping over. She goes, what? Sleeping over the house? You know, she goes, are you sure? I said, yes, I'm sure. We got to do this, honey. There's nothing else we can do. Who else is going to take care of Benny? We can't leave him in the dark. You know, she's got compassion, but not just the level that I have. You know? And uh, <clears throat> and so <laughs> it's a miracle we've been married 26 years, really. I mean, you know. So I, 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 I pick up Ben. He's, he's shivering in the cold in a room in a closet. I got a flashlight. I'm trying to find Ben, Ben, I'm in here. I'm in here. That's kind of high talk. I'm in here. I'm in here. Real high-pitched, strange land. So I find him in this closet. I, ben, it's going to be okay. Robert's been hit by a taxi. He's on life support. We're not sure what's going to happen, but you're coming over to my house. And he's been scared, asking about Robert. We finally get to the, you know, get to the house. And I said, no, Ben, listen. You know, you're going to be living with us for at least tonight. We're going to figure out what to do from here. And so Ben says, does that mean you're my daddy? I said, well, I haven't really thought about it like that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fine. He goes, and, and Miss Caroline's my mommy? I said, well, yeah, she'd be. He goes, and, and Mo and Joe, and I think it was just Mo and Joe at the time. Do we have Zoe and Chloe? No, I don't think we had Zoe and Chloe. So it's Mo and Joe. Is, Mo and Joe are my brothers? I said, yes. That, that, yeah, he goes, oh, boy, I wouldn't have a family. Because his mother was in prison. And so he comes in the house, and he's just hyper. He's like Gloria Ann. When she gets excited, she jumps up and down and does this thing. That's Ben. He's always doing this. And hey, oh, and it's midnight. And, and we always, we're a family that at, at late at night, we eat cereal. And so we're, we start pouring cereal that night. We pour a bowl for Ben. I have never witnessed in my life anybody eat a bowl of cereal like I did Ben that night at midnight. He ate that bowl. Of, it was going everywhere. He was slurping and just swallowing it whole. And Mo and George just like. And he finishes that bowl. And I just noticed Mo slides his bowl down. <laughs> you could have mine too. Same thing. Joe slides his bowl down. And so Ben eats three bowls of cereal. Well, we're trying to get used to Ben. Kind of like, hate to compare it to this, but like, it's almost like having a new dog. You're getting used to him. We're kind of figuring Ben out. He's roaming around the house. He's different. He's not normal. He's strange, you know. He's not all there. And we're trying to figure all this out. So we're like, he's got to sleep somewhere. And so I say, does anybody want to offer, you know, their room to Ben? And Mo said, yeah, Dad, he can sleep in my room, you know. So I said, okay, Ben, will you go, go sleep with, with, with Mo? So we set up a bed for him. And about that time, Mo, we said, it's time to go to bed. All right, everybody, let's get ready to bed. And Mo, he, everybody was so hyped up. Mo smarted off to Caroline because she's the one that said, let's go to bed. And he said, oh, man, I don't want to go to bed. Come on. Something like that. And Caroline, oh, I was actually about to say something to Mo like, hey, boy, don't you talk to your mother like that, you know. But I didn't have to because Ben heard it. Ben went, Mo, I would never talk to my mother like that if I had one. 
and he put his head down and walked to his bedroom. Man, I realized right then, this is going to be an interesting night. Well, that night turned into three months. Ben lived at our home for three months. It's life-changing. I remember Ben used to go on the buses with me, and he'd knock, he'd, uh, Mo would knock on the doors, and Ben would be sitting in the, in the back seat. One, one day, we walk up to this house, and, and uh, we uh, drive up to this house, and I noticed that Ben was, was barking at the dog in the yard of this house, and the dog was barking at Ben. They're just barking at one another. I'm like, Ben, what are you doing? He's like, I, I understand dog language. We're just having a conversation. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, I'm witnessing to the dog at this very moment. He is not saved. I said, oh, okay. I'm sorry for interrupting you. So they keep going, and, and I'm like, I start moving. He, he yanks his head back in. We're not finished yet. Don't take off. This dog is not saved yet. I'm, I press the brakes. Ben finishes. He sits down. I go, Ben, are you done? He goes, the dog was gloriously saved. I remember one, one time, Mo was was being chased by a Rottweiler or no, a pit bull, pit bull down the street from knocking on the door. And, and I mean, it was scary. And I'm in the, I was the driver, right? So Moe's running down the street. Dog's about 10 feet behind him. I'm like, come on, son, you can make it. You know, I mean, hey, one of us has got to go out. You got to have a driver. So anyway, Moe makes it, jumps in the bus. I slam the door shut. The dog, you know, hits his head up against the, the, the bus, barking like it's drooling, ugly. Ben wasn't on the bus that Sunday, but he did come that night. So I told Ben the story. I said, hey, Ben, I said, you're not going to believe this. I wish you were there because there was a dog barking. It was mean. It almost ate my son. It was terrible. He goes, can you remember how it barked? I might can tell you what it was saying. I said, well, sort of. He said, well, go ahead. I said, well, it's kind of like, you know, and Ben goes, oh, no. I said, what? Then he said, he cussed you out. (laughs) Well, about a month and a half into this, DHS got involved. And so they call us and they say, look, do you have Ben Montgomery living with you? And I said, yeah, we've had him living with us for about six months. And and they said, well, listen, you know, we're going to have to come check your house out. I mean, you can't just have somebody come live with you without approval from the state now because we've taken the kids, put them in the custody of the state, all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So they said, yeah, we'll be over there, you know, uh, sometime this week. We don't actually tell you when we're showing up. We'll just show up. So it's a Saturday. I'm out mowing the lawn. They show up. And the guy pulls up and he says, uh, hey, you, uh, Mr. Capace? I said, yeah. He goes, is this where Ben Montgomery lives? I said, yeah. He goes, let's go inside. We need to check your house out. So we go inside. The guy was really rude, you know, which is fine, you know. Maybe having a bad day, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm watching my P's and Q's. I'm trying to, you know, because I know this is serious, you know. So he's all, hey, let me see your thermostat. So he walks over to the thermostat. What do you think? Is this what you keep it on all day? I said, yeah, this is what we keep. He goes, let me see your refrigerator. We go over to the refrigerator, and he goes, is this kind of how what you have normally? Is this a normal look? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, this is you. I mean, we didn't know you were coming. This is, he goes, let me see your cupboards. We had to show him the cupboards, and what do you eat for breakfast? And where's he sleeping? And we told him where we sleep. So he's documenting all this stuff. So finally, he's finishing things up for me to sign a piece of paper. He says, so what do you do for a living? I said, oh, I pastor a gospelite. You do what? I said, yeah, I pastor the church about two blocks from here. A gospelite. Great church. He said, you're the pastor? Like you're the guy that like, like preaches? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy that preaches, yeah. I'm the, 
Yeah, the, like the leader of the church congregation. Yeah, it's me. He goes, what are you doing taking in a kid? Do you know the responsibility this is? Do you know? I, I've never met a pastor that would do that. I said, to me, that's what pastors should do. That's why we're here. We're here to love people, to receive people. The most Christ-like thing we can do is to love someone and to care for someone who's hurting, struggling. He said, that's just amazing to me. He said, sign right here, Pastor. I signed. And I thought as he walked out, I thought, why is it so strange that churches and pastors would receive people? Church, we should never, ever be the kind of church where people don't feel loved and welcomed when they come in. I don't care who they are or what they've done or what kind of problems they have. Thank you, by the way, for receiving Glory Ann. Because you know, God knew. God was preparing us to live with a Ben Montgomery for the rest of our lives. Isn't God good? And then finally, and I'm not even going to tell you, give you one one minute of sermon on this point, but the third point is this. I want you to look at the, the reward, the renewal, the restoration, and the reward the gospel brought. Look at verse 18. You'll see it right here. It's incredible. If he hath wronged thee, Paul says, right? This is the letter. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught or anything, put it on my account. Anything Onesimus owes you, I got it. I love it. Look at this, verse 19. I, Paul, have written this with my own hand. I will repay it. So, Paul, just in case you're bitter, can you read between the lines? Just in case you're bitter, just in case you're going to hold this over Onesimus' head, just in case you're going to forgive him, but with contingents. Like, okay, you're forgiven, but you're going to pay me back, right? Just in case that's your attitude, since I don't get to see you face-to-face and discuss this, put it on my account. That's what Jesus has done with our sins. We owed the debt for our sins. But just like one of my favorite hymns in all the world, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin hath left the crimson stain. But praise God, he washed it white as snow. Amen. We are forgiven. He's paid our debt. And when the old devil says, yeah, but look at all the stuff Eric's done. Look at all the mistakes he's made. Look at all the wrongs he's done. Look at how he's treated somebody there or done this. Jesus says, I know he's, he's not always been a good boy. You're right. Uh, put that on my account. I got it. It's called Calvary. I'll just send my son, Jesus, to die for his sins and for all the things that he's done. What reward? Oh, listen. Christ became poor that we might become rich. What a God. What a Savior. What a way to start the year. Let the gospel today, let the gospel today bring you a new start. Let the the gospel today give you a clean heart, a, a fresh start. A, a, a record that's clean of all sin and guilt and stain. Would you leave church this morning with a desire to what? To serve God with more devotion, with more intensity and commitment, dedication 
than you ever have. If for no other reason, because of all the things that the gospel has given us. Well, Philemon, thanks for letting us read your letter. I know it was kind of personal, and most of the time we don't get to read personal letters, but that really meant a lot. Thank you. And God, thank you for letting us in on one of the most amazing love letters in all the Bible. Heads are about eyes are closed.